Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 38. Psalm 38. Get myself squared away here. So we're talking about a Psalm of David. And this Psalm that he's writing is another one that we call a penitential Psalm. And we've gone through two of them so far in Psalm 6 and also Psalm 32. And so in verse 18 of this particular psalm, Psalm 38, is where David is showing us his repentance. We'll, we'll get to that when we get there. And also you notice, I don't know if your Bibles say this, but it says for a memorial. And this uh, particular psalm was read on Yom Kippur, otherwise known as the Day of Atonement. The thing that I want to focus on, too, and we're going to be doing a lot of moving around in the Bible, so you know, make sure you get your fingers ready to go, and I'll give you time to get to where you need to get to. So the first place we want to go to, we're talking about God remembering us, is Genesis chapter 8, verses 1. And in there, we're going to see there's going to be three places that we're going to go to where we can get encouraged the idea that God remembers us. In this particular section of Scripture, we say that the flood has happened, and the words say, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Next area we want to go to is Genesis chapter 19 in verse 29. We know that what happened with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and God had to come in and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet God had made a promise to Abraham. And so this is where God is fulfilling this promise because he remembered Abraham. So verse 29 of chapter 19 says, Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities which Lot lived. So we have two instances here, one in the beginning with Noah and the flood, we have another one here, God making this covenant uh, promise to Abraham and him remembering in both instances. The last one I want to go to is going to be 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to be hanging out in verse 9. To kind of get you caught up on what's going on here, you remember Hannah, right? She was uh, childless, but yet her rival, I guess she would be the wife of her husband, um, ended up having all these children. And so there is this thing going on where Penaniah was really hammering on Hannah and making her feel bad about because she was barren. So Hannah would go before the Lord. And in this particular instance, she rose, she went to the temple and she started praying. And while she's praying, her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. And if you remember, you have Eli is there and he thinks she's drunk, right? So he goes up and he talks to her says, what are you doing? She says, I'm not drunk as you suppose, but no, I'm, I'm downcast. Because Hannah, before she came in, she made this promise to God. If you allow me to have a child, I will dedicate this child to you. And so where we find that God was remembering Hannah is down in verse 19. Eli answered her in verse 17. We'll get to 19. Eli answered her. I think it's important that we understand what happened here. He answered and he said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And God being the faithful God that he is, here's what he tells her. 
Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And of course, we understand the remembering in the form of Samuel, the child who ended up becoming the prophet. And so the idea here too, for me, what I get out of this 19, I love when he says he rose early in the morning, was worshiping the Lord. They were studying early in the morning. So you look at this saying and the idea of God remembering, well, did he forget? You know, was he sitting on his easy chair and he says, oh man, Noah's out there on the ark. I got to get out there, right? Is that what he did? No. How about Abraham? Did you forget that Lot was in the city still and the angel still needed to get him out? Absolutely not. Did he forget that Hannah was childless? No, the remembrance is for our purposes, right? When we're able to read in God's word and we see where God remembered, that's for us, not for God, okay? We need to remember what God has done and what God will do. That's important. The other thing we need to go to also is understand the flip side of this. Go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 34. And what we're going to see here is what I'm glad that God doesn't remember. Okay? In verse 31, it starts out where God is declaring that he's going to bring a new covenant. Of course, that Davidic covenant meaning that Jesus Christ was going to come in. He's going to bring the new covenant to where the old covenant, we don't have to worry about taking our sins and getting the bulls, getting the lambs and slaughtering them. Um, Jesus took care of that on the cross. But in verse 34, this is, this is encouraging to me. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So remember the sacrificial system was covered when Jesus came, he atoned, he took it away, right? What did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't cover, he took away. And so what we want to look at here, going back to our text in 38 of Psalm, a couple of places we want to understand before we get going. Because we're going to be reading about David and how he is going through this anguish because of his sin. Okay, so we go to Genesis Chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. I'm going to point out three areas here. This is the main one. You guys already know it, but it's good to go back and kind of rehash it and find out what's going on here. So we know that man fell in the garden, that the serpent came and deceived Eve and said, hey, did God really say? Okay. So where we're going to pick up at is in verse 16. This is when the curse came. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread to return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So we see the effects of the fall, right? We see that because we are disobedient to God that now this is the effect of what's happening. Okay, we see sickness all around us. We see decay all around us. Things don't get better, they get worse, don't they? 
right? We see it. Go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 5. I'm, I'm sorry, John chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 3. Here, here we're going to go ahead and we're going to see an instance where because of the curse that came about, it had nothing to do with what this guy was doing, right? Healing the man that was born blind. So here we have, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So because of the curse, because of the fall, this man was born blind for the reason of giving God glory. Okay. Go to John chapter five. Just flip over a couple pages here. John chapter five. You remember the story of the man who had been ill for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. And every time he would go in, there was nobody there to put him into the water so he couldn't get healed. <clears throat> so Jesus comes up to him and he asks him a simple question. It's kind of a no-brainer here, right? Do you wish to get well? Of course, the man made excuses. and He says, I have no man to put me into the pool. So Jesus tells him, he says, look, pick up your pallet and walk. Very simple command. So, of course, the man picks up his pallet and he starts walking and it's a permanent healing for him. So look down at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So in this case, apparently there was some sin in his life that had caused him to get sick, to get ill. And so we have to look at all these things. First of all, it's the effects of the fall because of what happened in the garden. We decided to disobey God. And as it moves on, sometimes it's not from any disobedience. It's just it's the way things happen. And then we see in John chapter 5 that our sins can cause these kinds of things to happen. So what we want to do is look in our, in our scriptures, go back to uh, Psalm 38. We're looking at David and the choices that, that he made, which hopefully will give us choices that we can make. First one, we look at focusing on our sin and the sin's pain that comes about because of our sin. <clears throat> and the, the first two are not very good, okay? We don't want to focus on ourselves when we're in this turmoil. When we're in sin, we want to be focusing, as you guys well know, on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's trying to do. But David uh, gives us a good example here. Oh, Lord. Rebuke me not in your wrath, and chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sucked deep into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. As we see here, David's talking about that, O oh Lord Jehovah, rebuke me not in your wrath. It's not that David was saying, Lord, don't punish me. David is understanding that what he has done is worthy of punishment. But it's more that he's saying, don't punish me in your anger. Okay, do not punish me in your anger. Go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, and the verses uh, 11 and 12 is what we're going to be looking at. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. 
even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. So we see here a lesson for parents, right? Even grandparents. I mean, I, I'm one of those grandparents that, um, you know, I, I spank my kids, I spank my grandkids. <laughs> so there you have it. I, I said it, okay? And guess what? It works. You know, God's word works. I don't have any problems with my grandkids. I don't have any problems with them. We have a lot of fun together, by the way. Turn on over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 1. In this, this is kind of reiterating what we're talking about. You know, Jesus gives us an example from verses 1 to 4. And for us, uh, Father's discipline, we start in verse 5, and it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he disciplines, or whom he receives, rather. For it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, here's the warning for us, okay? Here's the warning. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them, right? I respected my dad when he disciplined me. I didn't like it, as it's going to tell us right here. Shall we much, much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. And of course, we always know the next verse in 11, it says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. How many of you guys thought that discipline didn't seem? I knew that discipline wasn't joyful. Okay, but the Bible says right here, it seems to be not joyful, but sorrowful. For me, it was sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Something about discipline uh, by our God in heaven, our Father, results in peacefulness and righteousness. And that's where we want to be. Turn back to, uh, keep your finger here. Keep your finger here and go back to our text, Psalm 38. Verses three, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For, I, for my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. I see here that David is starting to describe his condition now because of his sin. And the heaviness of it is what he's looking at. Now, you had your finger back in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go up to verse one and two. This should be encouraging for you. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set for our, before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hey, we look in, in chapter 11 of, of, of Hebrews here, and we see, what do we see? People who walked by faith the people who were saved by faith, okay? So that's our cloud of witnesses that we're looking for, the examples that were set before us. Why? So that we can run this race with endurance so that we will not fail, all right? If they could do it, we could do it. But we can only do it through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our life. 
If you're trying to do it on your own, you will fail. So the idea being here that as David starts back, um, head on back to uh, Psalm 38. As David starts back talking about the things that are going on in his life, verses three and four, my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. We look at uh, Hebrews 1, 12 to 8, what did we see? We see that we get that encouragement from those people that are around us, that great cloud of witnesses. But not only that, but go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I love this. I, I could have taken you guys to Matthew chapter 11 where he tells us, um, you know, that we're supposed to bring all our burdens to Jesus for our yoke is heavy. His, his, our yoke is heavy, but his is light, right? Um, but as we look at Luke chapter 10, we, something, we see something a little bit different. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, right? But look at this. Came to Mary and Martha's house. Verse 39 of chapter 10. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. First step, you need to be seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. In contrast to verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Imagine telling God what to do. (laughs) Verse 41, but the Lord answered and said to her, I can just imagine Jesus's voice here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which should not be taken away from her. That's a blessing to me. And that's the reason why I said in the beginning, we're looking at uh, Hannah and how they went in the morning and were seeking the Lord. That's the best time, right? It it encourages you for the day. When you get your fueling in the morning, you're going to be able to deal with the rest of the day and what's happening. Back to our text. Verse 5. David starts again going into this uh, situation he's in with his body. It gets pretty gross here. Verse 5, my wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. In other words, they were stinking. He was um, the pus and the stuff that comes along with that kind of thing. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. Think about this, okay? I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed or feeble and badly crushed. I groan or I have roared because of the agitation of my heart. You know, I look at this and I'm thinking, man, I mean, I've been in some pain before, but I I can't even imagine what he's going through right here. But you see, as he continues to describe the effects of what sin is doing in his life, he has to understand it's because of the disobedience that he was practicing against the Lord. So it leads me to a conclusion, right? We have a choice, right? We have a choice to either obey God and do what's right, or we have a choice to disobey God and not do what's right. 
The problem is we don't escape the consequences. The consequences will come. You can't choose the consequences of the sin. They will come. God's going to get your attention. So when temptation comes, right, what do we do? We pray. We seek the Lord. We rely on his word. We rely on him. We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to get over this hump. And so we see as we move on in verses 9 to 14, we're going to talk about sin's loneliness. And now what we end up doing is we start focusing on those other people that potentially have caused this against us. Those people that are, that are doing things against us, whether it be our family, our friends, or whether it be even our enemies. So we look at verse uh, 9. David at this point goes briefly back to the Lord. He says, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. You see, when I look at this part here of the heart throbs, I'm thinking about all the poisons that are potentially going through his body and are affecting his heart. And not only that, but they're affecting his vision. And so sin, even though we think we're going to get away from it for a little while, it hits us. Again, you can't escape it. That's why it's important. You can't escape the consequences. That's why it's important to go and seek the Lord while he may be found, which is, by the way, all the time, right? Isn't he promised that he is with us forever? Doesn't he live inside of you? Aren't you a Christian? Didn't you accept him as your Lord and Savior? And what happened at that point in time? He came in, he resided inside of us. So he's with us always. So let's go to him. He asked us to. Verse 10 and 11. My heart throbs, my, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. I look at this thing, and we looked at this in Psalm 31 last time I was up here. And let's go, let's go back there real quick. Psalm 31. And the verses where I'm looking at is going to be in verse 10. And what I'm going to read here is you're going to start seeing the kind of the similarities here that David is talking about in Psalm, Psalm 31 comparing to Psalm 38. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed. Why? Because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. Verse 13, and he tells us, he heard the slander of many and terror is on every side. And while they took counsel together against me, they schemed even to take away my life. So we see David is still in this situation in verse 12, 11 and 12. His friends, those that he loves, those that love him, are standing off. They're standing away. He stinks. He smells. He sees the thing that sin is doing in his life, and they remove themselves from him. That's a warning to us as Christians. Um, we shouldn't be doing that to each other. Okay, if we're Christians, what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't go and, and shun somebody because of whatever. You name it, 
Jesus didn't do that. Did Paul do that? Paul didn't do that. Okay, so as Christians, and I'm taking this on myself too, I should be coming alongside people, especially if they're brothers in the Lord or sisters in the Lord. And so for me to look at this thing, I, I kind of resonate with where David's coming from in, in verse 11. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof for my plague and my kinsmen stand afar off. Hey, you'll know your friends and really quickly when you get into times of trouble, right? Right? The ones that aren't truly your friends are gone. But your one true friends, they'll be there, right? I've seen that happen in my own life. I'm sure you guys have too. Those are the ones that you want to cling to because those are the ones that are going to sharpen you as the proverb tells us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You got to have friends like that. And hopefully what happens is that these types of relationships end up becoming infectious in the church where people will see and they'll be jealous. Don't we want that? People will be jealous of these relationships that are close. The relationships that can talk about Jesus is relationships that aren't about, I know more than you, so therefore you got to listen to me. No, it's all about, we're all the same, equal at the foot of the cross. You know, just because I'm up here doesn't mean anything. Do I deserve to be up here? Absolutely not. The point of it being, for some reason, with God's uh, humor, I am, okay? But the point of it being, too, is that I want to encourage you guys to understand that this church body bonds together. We work together, we walk together, we cry together, we laugh together. And that's the whole point for me in verse 11 and how I can apply that to my own life. Verse 12, those who seek my life lay snares for me and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction and they devise treachery all day long. So go to Job chapter 31, verse 29 and 30. What we're going to see here is our enemies are going to always be out there. We're going to have them from within and we're going to have them from without. The point of it being, especially if you're a Christian who is proclaiming biblical truths, the point of it being is that how are we going to react when these things happen? So let's look at Job 31 verses 29 to 30. He says, have I rejoiced at the extinction of my enemy or exalted when evil befell him? No, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. Job wasn't in a very good place, as you guys all recall, right? His family died, he lost all his stuff, lost all his kids. Um, servants were killed, you know, boils all over his body. He's got these friends that are not really very good encouragers. But yet he remained through all this stuff of saying, no, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. I find that amazing. That's called walking with God. That's called being on your knees. That's called studying the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're looking at verses 11 to 13. We all know Paul. We know that Paul was an awesome guy, right? Shipwrecked all these times. He was beaten, whipped, stoned, um, cold, in peril of his life. A man's man, right? Yeah. 
He was a man's man. I mean, check this out. This is what men should be doing. This is what women should be doing also. Women of God, men of God. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I think it's awesome that Paul can take and have this kind of an attitude in his circumstances until the day that he died. I've run the race. I've finished the course, right? That's, where, that's my goal, to run the race, to finish the course, to be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, but let's look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said that he came to serve and not to be served. And he said that no servant is above his master. And so therefore, chapter uh, 5, verse 43 to 46, Jesus' words, you have heard it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? <clears throat> How does that affect anybody? Really? I mean, it's one of those things where, gosh, it's easy to love a person who loves you, right? It's easy to love a person who is doing everything that you want them to do. But what about that person that is agitating you? Right, that's the tough one. That's a tough one for everyone to work on, myself included. You know, we have people in our lives that are like that. But you know what? Take it to the Lord, man. I keep telling you, is pray, seek the Lord. Lord, how can I get along with this person? It's only by his grace that you're going to be able to do it or I'm going to be able to do it. And you know what? I hope that someone comes up to me and tells me in honesty and love if I'm being an agitator to them in a bad way. I mean, I want to be an agitator to you in a good way to where I'm encouraging you to do the things to serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the kind of agitator I want you to, to good works. I don't want to be an agitator that causes dissension or factions or envying or those types of things. And so we want to, we want to be like Jesus. This is, these are a couple of scriptures that we, we look at when our enemies are coming against us. A couple areas I want to go to. Um, as we go back to our text, verse 13 and 14. This is a good one right here. <laughs> God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? <laughs> Better to hear than to speak. Verse 13, but I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I'm like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no arguments. I love this. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 16. David's an awesome guy in this kind of a thing, man. He, he was being persecuted by this Shimei character. He had all his guys, and they're on one side. Picture this. You got one group here and one guy, one group over here. Actually, pretty much only one guy, Shimei. And he's just cursing in, insults over at David. He's throwing stones at him, telling David what a bloodthirsty guy he is, and he wasn't God's anointed, all these things he's talking to David. And David surrounded himself with some pretty 
rough characters. You know, remember his 300 men, right? Guys that you want to hang out with. Um, I would because I know I'd be protected. Okay, those are the guys you want to go to war with is what I mean to say. So David here, he sees that Shimei is throwing the rocks. He's cursing at him. And then he got his buddy, uh, David's buddy, Abishai. Abishai says, man, I want to go cut his head off. Let me go cut his head off. David says, hold on a minute there. Hold on a minute. So as we, as we look at the text here, it talks about David's reaction. And David's reaction is awesome. Verse 10, but the king said, what have I had to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Verse 11, then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of this cursing this day. I love David's attitude. You know, David could have said, yeah, but should I go cut his head off? He had every right. He was a king. But David chose mercy. David chose mercy, and he also chose to put it at the foot of the cross. Of course, the cross wasn't there, right? Did you get what I'm saying? He gave it to the Lord. He gave it to the Lord. So we see here, David shows the mercy. Go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Now we're going to do a couple of instances here where we see, of course, Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the Messiah to come. And the things that the Messiah, Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. You guys think about the stuff that Jesus went through, right? All the, the, the whippings, the beatings, the, you know, your friends leaving you. And yet, he did not open his mouth. He did not bring a reviling accusation. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Goes into more detail of what I'm talking about here in Isaiah 53, 7. Verses 21 and 23 is where we're going to be at. Christ is our example. I mean, what better example do we have? None. He was perfect. Verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for how you to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, there it is again. We saw it in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Again, I told you in the beginning here that we pray, we seek the Lord, we entrust ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we won't fall into the sin. The temptations will come. They will come. But we got to head them off at the pass. And so we have an advocate, don't we? Jesus Christ, the righteous. But we also know that the Father is on our side. And we also know that the Holy Spirit's on our side. We win, right? We win. Jesus said this thing. 
Deuteronomy chapter 32, 35. This is, this is God talking. Another way that we can get around this idea of keeping silent, Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of the calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. The thing that we, we focus on is the vengeance is mine, God speaking. And we've heard that before. There's a couple other places. I'm specifically thinking of Romans 12, 9, where the Lord tells us also, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Okay, so for us to want to step in the place of what God's trying to do is the wrong action to take. And you know what? As, as human beings, that seems to be that's what we want to do. Take the place of God and do his job. But God says no. You know what? Forgive. Love. Let me be the one that brings the wrath upon that person. So if you think about it, Shimei got his. 1 Kings chapter 2 tells us there's a whole chapter there pretty much dedicated to that. So David promised Shimei that he wouldn't kill him. And then when Solomon became king, Solomon basically said the same thing to him. In fact, he made an oath with them, with the Lord, that Solomon wouldn't kill him under one condition, that Shimei would not leave Jerusalem. Shimei said, okay, sounds good to me. I want to live. So what happens in time if we forget the Lord, if we forget to read, if we forget to pray, if we forget to fellowship? We forget, right? We forget God. Shimei forgot. He ended up leaving Jerusalem because a couple of his slaves had, had escaped. So Shimei goes ahead and he saddles up a couple of his donkeys and he takes off, gets his uh, servants, brings them back. Solomon hears about it. Well, the rest is history. Shimei didn't live much longer. Okay, he was executed. So again, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. David did the right thing. David did not cut off Shimei's head. He did the right thing and allowed God to take the action. Moving on, back to our text. David comes back. Now, I'm going to change some words in here, but they're not necessarily that I'm changing them. I'm just kind of enhancing them, okay? For I hope in you, O Yahweh, Jehovah, O Lord, you will answer, O Adonai, Master, my God, Elohim. I love that David uses all three of those right in that point to get his point across that there is only one true God, the existing one true God, Jehovah. David starts coming back here. He says in verse 16, For I said, may they not rejoice over me, who when my foot slips would magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety. I look at this thing and how David comes back and he uses those three terms of God. And in verse 16, he's looking at this thing here and he's saying, you know what? I don't want to give my enemies any room to blaspheme God. I'm going to go ahead in this instance. I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to do the things that he says to do. I get a blessing by that. In verses 17 and 18, David understands, I am ready to fall, 
that his time, his judgment, his discipline is going to be coming from God. He understands, too, that it was no one else's fault that he had done this. He can't blame it on Bathsheba, right? He can't blame it on anybody else but him. It's not like, this is just my thought pattern here. You can take it or leave it. It's okay. Um, sin just doesn't, all of a sudden, boom, there she is, and next thing you know, we're committing adultery, okay? This is something that happens over time. It happens over time. Granted, there are some things that happen straight up, but something like this, I'm almost thinking, you know, David had way too much time on his hand, peeking over the top, sees this lady, goes back into the house, comes back out another time, peeking over. You see what I'm going? You know, if we don't leave this thing, like I told you before, pray, seek the Lord, so when the temptation's there, we don't fall into the sin. So unfortunately for David, he does fall into the sin, but he didn't blame it on anybody else. David knew that it was his fault. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And where we're going to be at is verse 13 and 14. This is a situation you guys know where Nathan came and he got before David and he gave him the story about this rich man who took this uh, poor man's ewe lamb, that ewe lamb that became like a family member to this poor man. And so David got upset, didn't he? He said, that man should die. But Nathan tells him, he says, you are the man. And David's crushed. He goes, yeah, I am the man. That happened. I'm the one that did it. But look at verse 13 and 14. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. Great. I love it. You shall not die. However, because by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child. Also, that is born to you shall surely die. Consequences. He couldn't change him, right? He sinned. He couldn't change the consequences, but he was forgiven. He was forgiven. And so, as we know, David was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? Right? Till the day he died. We'll see David in heaven. Verses 19 and 20, back to our text. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. And those who repay evil for good, they oppose me because I follow what is good. I told you this before, because you follow what is good, because you follow the commandments of the Lord, because you are doing the things of, of righteousness and you're trying to be a holy person, right? You're going to have those people that are going to come against you. David made this contrast here. He says that him, David, was weak, but yet his enemies were strong. He said that David was sick, but yet his enemies were vigorous. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I got the fun job of picking up a cold, but I'm not going to make it as an excuse. Okay, so we see here this thorn in the flesh that Paul was dealing with. And so, of course, we know that Paul went before the Lord and entreated him three times. Lord, please take this thing away from me. And what does God say? He says in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, 
I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Christian, I'm talking to all of us in this room, all of you that are out on the internet. Therefore, are you content? I am well content, says Paul, with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. God does not put up with a exalted, prideful heart. God deals well with people who are humble. God tells us to humble himself inside of the Lord and he will lift us up. Verses 21 and 22, back to the text. Do not forsake me, O Lord. I love it. David's getting back in this idea. He's petitioning the Lord. He's been all through this stuff in his body. He's seeing the sin and the consequences of what's going on. And so David looks at this and he says, I got to get my eyes focused back on you, Lord. Do not forsake me, O Lord, my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. I love it here how David ends this thing. We look at a couple of things. I'm going to ask the question. You don't have to answer. Is God with us and is he near us? The answer should be yes. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but the answer is yes. God is near us and he is for us. Does he help us? Absolutely. Okay, he's God. He's with us. He promises that. In fact, Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And guys, you can go and leave this place here tonight knowing, not thinking, man, am I saved? If you're a Christian and, if you, and you've made that declaration, okay, there's, there's a couple of things that you look at. Number one, is there anything in my life that I've done that's causing grief to my Lord and Savior? If it is, what do you do? You repent, right? God forgives. We get back in that fellowship with the Lord. If you're a Christian and your life is going pretty good, still get before the Lord, right? Seek him. Say, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. He'll show you. Because about that time that I think that I've got it all made and I'm not doing anything wrong, he shows me. <laughs> he shows me. Okay, and the last thing that, that we, we want to look at, gosh, you know what? If you're not saved, you need to get saved. Okay, if there's someone in the room that is not saved, you need to get saved. Okay, God loves you. God loves me. God loves everyone in this room, but there's a point in time where God won't love you. That point is when you die, you will be separated from him forever in hell, for eternity. Eternity is a very, very long time. But for us Christians, hey, let's just flat out get right with God and live that life, live that joyful life that he's promised to give to us. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are new every morning. I thank you, Lord, that we can learn from David and his sin, Lord, and how it wrecked his body and wreaked havoc on him. But we know, Lord, that if we come to you, your word promises us that there is no temptation that will overtake us 
but such as is common to man. And you are faithful, Lord, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. And Lord, all we want to do is serve you. We want to glorify you, Lord. We want to let people know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other name under heaven which man must be saved. Lord, you would that none would perish, but that all would come to you, Lord, in repentance for eternal life. I ask for strength amongst this congregation here tonight. I pray, Lord, for their lives this week, that they would be acceptable to you and pleasing in your sight. I ask, Lord, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable. That as we study your word during this week in our private time with you, that you would reveal to us, Lord, what needs to change, how we need to glorify you as we walk this walk on this earth. And Father, let us look to that hope, that hope that one day we will be with you in heaven, that where the things on this earth will not matter, where there be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. But Father, all things will be made new. In the meanwhile, we have a job to do, a mission. Help us, Lord, as we go on that mission in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next week. I'll be back up here doing this. We're going to Psalm 39.